Reminding us of who we're all accountable to, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. He is the author of your life. You're accountable to him. It's not a theory. You are accountable to your creator. If you were to open the Bible, the very first thing the Bible says is the most important thing to grasp in your life. And it's this, in the beginning, God. But when God is no longer the beginning, the middle, or the end, life loses meaning and substance. And you're stuck with an empty shell of what life could be. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It's tragic that so many avoid accountability. It's easy to do since few are held to account these days. But if they would surrender to God, they'll discover that He provides what He requires. How so? You're about to find out on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Glad you're with us as we continue in the book of Hebrews. It's there we learn of the new covenant, God's provision for us. Here to tell us about it is Pastor Ed. Hebrews chapter 9 is where we are in a Bible study that I've entitled Forgiveness of Sin is Costly and Valuable. The forgiveness of sin is costly and valuable. Now, as we study through the book of Hebrews, remember it's a pastor's responsibility to take the timeless truths of the scripture and make them relevant for the present day. You'll never really be able to understand the Bible until you understand what it meant to the people that it was written to. So while the Bible is indeed written to you and me today, in order to understand what it means for us today, we need to understand what it meant to those that received it. In the case of Hebrews, remember the context of this book is that it was written to a group of Jewish Christians who had left the formality of the Old Covenant, or what we refer to as the Law, and they embraced faith in Jesus Christ, which we know as the new covenant. The problem is, is that they're a place of struggle right now. They're at a place of difficulty because they're missing the formalities of the past and they are wrestling with the simplicity of the present. Even though everything they learned in the old covenant, all the tabernacle worship, all the sacrifices, all the way into the temple, all pointed toward the coming of Jesus Christ so that when you embrace Jesus, you have it all. But they have family and friends. They have a lifestyle, just like you. You could probably relate in some way. Uh, those of you that don't like change of any kind, you know, that's what they say. The people that research these things say, you know, most people don't like change. And they wrestle against it and they fight against it. But the one constant that's in our life, ironically, is change. Things are changing, times are changing, culture's changing. It seems like everything's changing around us. And if we become rigid and inflexible, then the changers are just going to break us and snap us. But for them, it was significant because they were losing their family. They were losing their friends and they wanted to go backwards. And what Paul does in Hebrews is he writes to them very detailed about the significance of how Jesus is better 
than anything they've ever experienced. Even to the point where you could say Jesus is the best. So that today, by your faith in Jesus Christ, you have come to the best place in your life. There's no greater than faith in Jesus Christ. There's no greater hope. There's no greater strength. There's no greater help than faith in Jesus Christ. And today, in chapter 9, as we finish the chapter, it's one of those challenging chapters. And you that have been with us, you know that Hebrews is a challenging book. It is taking me much more time to study through Hebrews to get to the root of the matter than just about any other book. Probably the only other book that was more challenging or equally challenging was the book of Romans as I was studying to prepare it because you want to get to the root of it of what God is teaching us now. And as we've gone through it, you're here today, you go, man, Ed, that's a pretty heavy stuff, you know. I show up to church for the very first time and you're in the midst of Hebrews and all, talking about blood and sin and everything. And I just, but you have to understand, you've walked into a church that goes through the Bible verse by verse. So although you might be here the first week today, we actually, this is our 43rd Bible study in the book of Hebrews. So I suggest you go back and catch up. All 43 are on our web and you can build up. And, you know, it's a 43 hours of time, but you would catch up to where we are or even just go back five or six. But, you know, definitely when you're studying a book of the Bible, you want to get the introduction. So you can go all the way back to the beginning and you can study as much as you want because this book fits within the panorama of the fullness of God's Word. And while you jump in, you'll know that the next time we'll start in chapter 10 and we'll work our way through until we finish the entire book. So pick up with me where we left off in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 9. And for this reason, he, now you can notice in your Bible that's probably capitalized because it's a reference to Jesus Christ. He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Now, if you want to understand this a little bit better, circle the word testament and just write next to it, will. Because we even use that phrase today. When you develop a will, a will is going to declare what you want done after you die. We usually call it the last will and testament. So that's where he's at here. That's why the word's being used here. He's using that word to describe the significance of why Jesus' death is so important. Because the new covenant was there, but not in force until someone dies. So what he's saying here in these, in a very simple way, is that when Jesus Christ died, he instituted the new covenant. I reminded of my, of my parents. My parents are both in heaven now, and my, my dad preceded my mom. And so when my mom passed away, I was the executor of my mom's and dad's estate, which wasn't much, but I was the executor of all that they worked for for their lives. And the moment my mom passed away was the moment that will became important. It became important until my mom passed away. It was just a piece of paper in a folder in a filing cabinet. But once it passed away, we pulled it out, we submitted it to the court, and for over two years, we had to go through the whole probate system to make sure everything that my mom desired was taken care of. And so here's what he's saying. The will, the new covenant, was just sitting there waiting to be put in force until someone died. And once Jesus died, the new covenant started then. And it's vital for the Hebrews, and it's vital for you to understand. 
when the new covenant began, the old covenant ended. It had a beginning and an end, which is significant for you to realize because there are still people today that will come to you and require you to keep the law. They will require you to keep the Torah. They'll require you, are you, do you keep everything that's in the Old Testament? And they have failed to understand that the old covenant was replaced by the new covenant. You don't have two at the same time. The new covenant came through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice he says, not only is he the mediator of this new covenant, verse 15, but he's also the executor. Jesus not only gives us, not only is he the testator, not only is the mediator, but he's the executor of the new covenant. Why? Because he's the best. He's the better. Nothing, you need nothing and no one more than faith in Jesus Christ. The problem that's hard for us is we didn't enter into the new covenant from the old system. We don't have the old, we didn't come to the temple. We didn't go through the sacrificial system. We never brought an animal to be sacrificed for us. So we came in on this side of the cross. But they have both. They have before and after. And they're struggling with it. Notice verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Which is now we get to the essence of this section of scripture. The importance of blood. He says, for when Moses had spoken every precept, verse 19, to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then, likewise, he sprinkled the blood, both tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And, according to the law, almost all things are purged with blood. And you might want to mark this in your Bibles. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So going back and forth between the old covenant and the new, he refers to the old covenant here as the law, and he says, look, the law had an inauguration ceremony. Moses took blood and spread it on the law. He spread it on the people. He spread it on the tabernacle because the institution of the old covenant, it had a beginning. But it also had an end. The beginning of the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant came with Moses, but it it ended at the cross. Beginning and end. The shedding of Jesus' blood was the end of the old system and the beginning of the new covenant. Even as now Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary sprinkled his blood on mankind. Now, blood is very significant in the Bible. Now, I don't think you'd disagree. Blood is very significant in the practical realm. Like, the blood in your body is very important to your life. Do you guys realize that? It's very important. As a matter of fact, in trauma training, one of the things they will teach you is make sure the airway is clear, and if there's any wound, stop the bleeding. Don't let it bleed out. That would be the worst, one of the worst things that can happen. Stop the bleeding. Give some compression. Check the airway. Check the breathing. Check the compressions to make sure everything's taken care of. Because, and again, I know this is elementary and simple, but the elementary and simple things are often ignored. So you already grasp, and I'm sharing with you for the point of you already grasp the significance of blood in the human body. You may not always think about it, but you realize the blood is very, very, very important. 
Well, blood in the Bible is also very important. So it's important practically, but it's also important spiritually. And you'll find that many people are taken back. It's very offensive, this issue of blood. And a lot of people don't understand. You know, you're talking about your relationship with God and you go, oh yeah, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleansed me from all sin. Are you covered with the blood? It's the blood of God that washes us and makes me white as snow. And people go, dude, what are you talking about? What does that mean? Blood this and blood that and why the blood? Well, that's a good question to ask. And it's a good question to answer in people's lives. It's important to understand the significance of blood when it comes to God's perspective. So let's ask and answer the question. The real question that remains is why? Why is blood so important to God? If you're taking notes, let me give you three reasons. Number one, blood is important to God and it's important to his system of being saved and having your sins forgiven because God instituted it that way. And that's important to remember. One reason that God has made blood so important is he, this is his way. This is God's way. It's vital that we learn and remember that everything begins and ends with God. And I would dare say that some of the issues in this room today, some of the issues that are in people's lives that are connected with us by technology, some of the issues in your life are simply because you have failed to put God first and last in your life. You have failed to obey God. You have failed to acknowledge God. You have failed to remember that He is the author of your life, that you're accountable to Him. It's not a theory. You are accountable to your Creator. If you were to open the Bible, the very first thing the Bible says is the most important thing to grasp in your life, and it's this, in the beginning, God. But when God is no longer the beginning, the middle, or the end, life loses meaning and substance. And you're stuck with an empty shell of what life could be. Why blood? Well, because God instituted it that way. This is his system of belief. He is our author. He granted us life. We are accountable to him. And so when he says blood's important, our response is, I believe you, God. I believe you. I trust you. I understand that blood's significant to you. I mean, it's been that way all throughout the Bible. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. In Hebrews chapter 9, as we saw here in verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There's no remission of sin. You're stuck without the blood. Let me give you another one, number two. Why blood? Why is blood so important to God? Well, God used blood to emphasize the gravity and the weight of sin. Sin is very important to understand and recognize in your life. It's really too bad that many churches today, you could walk in and out of church for year after year and never hear about the weight of sin and the problem that sin is in your life and mine. Sin is a big deal, church. It's a huge deal. You know, whatever you came in here with today, Whatever issue is heavy on your heart, maybe you're grieving, maybe you're bewildered, maybe you're fearful, maybe you've got an, a work issue you don't know, maybe you're hopeless, it, whatever it might be, let me tell you, that is not your biggest issue. Your biggest issue is what are you going to do with the sin that's in your life? What will you do? And you say, well, Ed, I've 
don't really believe I'm a sin, so you've chosen not to acknowledge that. I don't, I, don't think I'm, I don't think I'm all that bad. I don't think I'm that bad at all. You might even respond when you hear a pastor or preacher talk about sin. You might even respond, you know, Ed, I'm a good person. Can I just acknowledge right now, you probably are a really good person. Thank you. Thank you for being good. I, I think our culture needs a lot, of, a lot more good people than bad people. Would you get an amen on that? Thanks for being good. I'm glad that you're good. May your tribe increase. I know for many years I could characterize my dad that way. He was a very good man. He was a very moral, upright man. But he was disconnected from God. You see, my dad, as good as he was and as moral and upright as he was, he had a sin problem. And so do you. You go, wait a minute, Ed. What is, I don't, it doesn't make sense. How can I have a sin problem and be good at the same time? Well, it all has to do with how you measure goodness. So that when you think of goodness, you think of a few good deeds that you do and you help somebody across the street and you helped your neighbor and you have a burden, you know, when you hear things on the news and, and you, you're, you're just a force for good in society. And when you compare yourself to other people, you know, you think, well, I'm better than them and I'm more good than they are and that's great. But the problem with that is that when it comes to your life before God, you and I, we can only compare ourselves to one person. <laughs> here's, what, here's what God says. God says, in order to live in relationship with me, you must be perfect. Now, I haven't met too many people, none that can even come to my mind right now, that look me in the eye and say, I am perfect. I haven't met too many people like that. I mean, maybe, just because my memory's not good, maybe I have, but I haven't met anyone that would, as a matter of fact, if I can get you talking and examining your life, I'm certain that I could get you to admit that you've made mistakes in your life. Like maybe you've, let's just say you've stolen something. I say, hey man, have you ever stolen anything? And you're like, yeah, maybe back in kindergarten I took that crayon and I never gave it back. I left it in my pocket, then mom washed the clothes and then it ruined the whole load of laundry. You sinned. What? Taking a crayon, I sinned? Yeah, you were a little kindergartner sinner back then, yes. <laughs> that crayon, crayon was not yours. Well, you know, I haven't stolen anything since then. Well, good, good, good. But you can't undo the thievery, can you? So that one episode of stealing, well, what does that make you? It makes you a thief. Or have you ever told a lie? Have you ever been dishonest? And I'm certain as we're walking through life, you go, yeah, I've kind of told a little white lie there. And, and so if you've ever lied in your life, what does that make you? A liar. You go, Ed, you're not making me feel real good right now. But that's not the intent. I just want to be real with you. I'm here to tell you the truth. And while I'm not giving you a banner over your life, I am showing you something. And that is what you think are mistakes, God calls sin. But they're even greater than mistakes, greater than taking some crayon or saying something out of your mouth. When you and I sin, we have failed a holy and righteous God who is utterly perfect, who gave you and me life so that we might enjoy a relationship with him and be a force for good, not just in our moral standards, but in God's righteous standards. And so if you find yourself having failed in life, then you have failed to be at that perfect requirement of God. But the good news is this. The good news is, is that what God requires, he provides. What God requires, he provides in the new covenant. And he provides it through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does the shed blood of Jesus Christ mean? Well, listen. 
2,000 years ago, God came to the earth in the form of a human being. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the promised Savior of the world. And he lived approximately 33 years into adulthood. The final three years of the life of Jesus was spent loving, caring, healing, feeding, and sharing the truth of God's word. Going against, he would even teach against the religious establishment and those that were taking advantage of people. And the reward for perfect life, the reward, you know Jesus, you know what his reward was? He was lied about. He was slandered. They even hired people to testify against him so that he was found guilty in a Roman court of law and viciously beaten. Do you know that Jesus Christ was beaten so bad that there's an old King James phrase that says his visage was marred. And that means today that he was so badly maimed that unless you knew who he was, you wouldn't have recognized him. And they took him after lashing. They called that a scourging. If you've ever been to a Good Friday service in a church, Good Friday is a day in memorial of that day of beating and scourging. It was a horrific way to be treated. Torture. We would call that today torture. They torture him and beat him bloody. Blood, real blood out of a real human body. But it didn't end there. They took him after the scourging and they hung him on a Roman torture cross. And he died of crucifixion. And he bled. And that significance of the blood of Jesus Christ is spoken of here. Why blood? To magnify the weight of sin. Sin is serious. Sin is a serious matter. It is not to be messed with. I like how Pastor John Corson writes in his commentary. Let me quote it to you. Why is God so deadly serious about sin? It's not because he's prudish. Not because he can't handle violence or sex. It's because he knows what sin does. Sin kills it kills happiness, it kills joy, it kills health, it kills life. It kills kids and families and societies and cultures. That's why the only way that there can be forgiveness is by the shedding of blood. There's no such thing as forgiveness light. Forgiveness only comes through the blood. For the Hebrew believers, they know this. They would see every time the priest would bring the animal and slit the animal's throat and watch the blood flow, that they would be reminded that sin brings death. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6. Sin, the wages of sin is always death. And God takes it seriously. You know, the mathematics of sin are always the same. I don't know where I got this from, but I'm going to quote it from some own unknown guy or gal. I don't know. But listen, the mathematics are always the same. Sin will add to your sorrow, subtract your joy, multiply your problems, and divide your heart. It will always do damage to you and me. Sin is rooted in the hearts of every human being. And let me just set the record straight. When we speak of sin, we use the word we. Because the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't anyone among us today that is innocent in the eyes of God. We have all sinned. And when we think of blood, it magnifies the weight of sin. Let me give you one final one, number three. And that is, why blood? Well, number one, God instituted it, so he's the beginning. He's the source. He's the center of our life. Number two, it magnifies the weight and significance of sin, the weightiness. And then thirdly, it magnifies the cost and the value of forgiveness. 
We need to pause here, but we'll explore the cost and value of forgiveness next time on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is in Hebrews chapter 9 today. Are you interested in hearing this again? If so, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. You can search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor, or listen to us through Apple Podcasts. Now, this month, we're featuring an excellent book by our friend in the ministry, Gail Irwin. It's called The Jesus Style. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? Well, we find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and his style of ministry. It is totally opposed to our natural leanings, so we need some help. Request a copy of The Jesus Style today when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also now order resources like this through our new e-store at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Glad you've taken time out for our study in Hebrews. Join Pastor Ed Taylor each day as we continue to learn how to live by God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 